The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks sitting at their highest level in 14 months as investors. They see the light at the end of the Fed tightening tunnel. And sitting at fresh high, shares of Microsoft rocketing to a $2.6 trillion market cap from investor enthusiasm over its AI future. And betting big outside of China as one of the world's biggest chip makers looks at a multi-billion dollar deal in India. Plus, the charm offensive continues as Bill Gates, he meets face-to-face with Xi Jinping as Beijing prepares to further juice its struggling economy. And then later on in the show, Tesla's market dominance apparently coming to an end at the hands of some very successful Chinese upstarts and legacy players from Detroit. It is Friday, June the 16th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As you can see, they are green across the board right now. If they were open up, the market were open up, the Dow would open up about 40 points higher. Again, as we always say, it's very early. The S&P and the Nasdaq fractionally higher as well. So this is the Nasdaq and the S&P. They're currently riding a six-session win streak and trading at levels not seen since April of 2022. We're looking right here at the week-to-date moves. S&P up 3%, the Nasdaq up 4%. Both also on pace for their best week since March. One stock that's really helping to drive those indexes higher, Microsoft. Who else? Shares sitting at a record high after a 3% pop yesterday on even more optimism over its AI offerings. Looking at shares right now in the pre-market, they're up almost a half a percent. We also want to check the bond market. We can see to see movement in the bond market following the Fed hawkish pause, we'll call it. We've actually seen the yield on the 10-year, on the, the benchmark, decline just a bit by five, seven basis points. Again, we continue to see the elevated yield when it comes to the two-year. And we've got to look at the energy market. We're going to talk a lot more about energy, specifically oil, later on in the show. Right now, we are seeing some overall upside moves when it comes to oil. Down fractionally this morning, flat for Brent, but... WTI back above 70 bucks a barrel. We're seeing Brent crude back above 75 bucks a barrel. Meaningful. Again, we'll talk about that much more later on in the show. All right, time now for a check on the action over in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with more on both. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, across the globe, we are seeing equities follow Wall Street higher sentiment, uh, quite positive in all the major regions. Here's a picture for how Asia traded overnight. You've got the Shanghai Composite in mainland China up six-tenths of a percent. The policy support provided by the PBOC earlier this week, perhaps providing a bit of a boost this morning. Hang Seng in Hong Kong up more than one percent. And the Nikkei 225 soaring to a fresh three-decade high up seven-tenths of a percent. This as the Bank of Japan, Governor Kazuo 
Ueda says more time is needed to meet the central bank's 2% inflation target after maintaining the country's ultra-easy monetary policy. Traders had expected this move despite stronger-than-expected inflation. The bank retained its overnight base rate at minus 0.1%. What a different picture to what we're seeing at central banks across the Western world. It also stuck to its policy of allowing 10-year bond yields to fluctuate by 50 basis points either side of its 0% target, otherwise known as yield curve control. So no change to Bank of Japan policy, which is incredibly easy compared to the rest of the world. As for European trade this morning, I mentioned we're seeing green across the board. And here you have it. Every major region in Europe is trading higher this morning following the positive moves we saw on Wall Street yesterday. Worth noting that Europe did underperform Wall Street yesterday. So a little bit of a catch up trade perhaps here. Also, investors continuing to digest the European Central Bank's decision yesterday. They went ahead with a further 25 basis point rate hike, signaled there are more hikes to come. We saw the euro cross 109 versus the dollar, so quite a substantial move higher in the euro. But equities, uh, the, the key takeaway here, it is a positive start to trade this Friday morning. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, live in our London newsroom. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Friday morning to you. Well, the IPO market appears alive and well because shares of Mediterranean restaurant chain Cava looking to extend yesterday's gains after its impressive public market debut on the New York Stock Exchange yesterday when the stock closed up 100 percent. The company sold more than 14 million shares, raising nearly $318 million with a valuation of roughly $2.5 billion. Disney's longtime chief financial officer, Christine McCarthy, is stepping down from her role and will take a, quote, family medical leave of absence from the company. McCarthy will stay on as an advisor to help with the transition. And Disney Park executive Kevin Lansbury will take over her role in the interim. And Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic disclosing he made multiple trades before a Fed meeting last year, despite rules prohibiting him to do so. According to an annual financial disclosure, Bostic and his spouse made trades involving 19 ETFs on May 2nd, 2022, ranging, ranging in amounts from $1,000 to $50,000. And the trades occurred during a two-week blackout period before a federal open market meet, committee meeting. Frank, last October, Bostic disclosed similar trades in previous years adding he does not intend to conceal or sidestep his obligation of transparency. Yeah, certainly, sir, we're going to continue to follow throughout Absolutely. the day. Savannah Hanal, thank you very much. We will see you later see you on later. the show. All right, turn it back to the markets. They are gearing up for the final trading day of the week as we're seeing a record run for both the Dow and the S&P 500, both of them surpassing historical gains for June. That's according to data from the Stock Traders Almanac. So in a typical June, the Dow has shed 0.2% on average, but so far as this month, as you can see, the 30 stock average is actually up 4.4 percent. A very similar story for the S&P 500, rallying five and a half percent, just blowing past the historical June average of just 0.1 percent in gains. Joining me now to discuss Jay Woods, chief global strategist at Freedom Capital Markets. Jay, good morning. It's great to have you here in the good house. Good morning, Frank. Great to be here. All right. So, Jay, we just kind of broke down. The markets continue to rally. So at the same time, according to the dot plots, we could see two more rate hikes this year. The rally that we're seeing, what does that say about investor sentiment regarding the dot plots and what we heard from Jay Powell? The market doesn't care. That's what it's saying. The S&P 500 is <laughs> at new highs. The Nasdaq is new highs. And now we're seeing this great rotation. 11 S&P 500 sectors, 11 of the S&P select sectors uh, were up yesterday. So the rotation, the tide is lifting all the boats. And we're seeing some great patterns here. 
where it could continue for a little while to come. You know, you're making a good point. This rising tide is lifting all boats. I'm looking at a couple other areas of the market. Before, we were worried about a freight recession. Now you look at Dow Transports. They are performing the S&P and the triple Qs. We're also seeing a rally in the small caps. So this broadening of the market, what does that make you think in general about investing? Well, it's fantastic because for years, for the last six months, we've been complaining about the leaders and just seven stocks taking this market higher. You mentioned the transports. I love the transports right now. They broke out. They held a key support level. As a technician, I'm looking at price action and I'm following stocks within that sector. And watch FedEx next week. I think FedEx on Tuesday afternoon is the tell. It just broke out of a near term uh, little base here and it has room to reverse. So if this continues to be strong, uh, I think the transports will lead as well as uh, continuation in the Russell and the small caps. So we're looking at this recent rally. I want to bounce something off you. We've got some uh, new data from Bank of America. U.S. stocks seeing $38 billion in inflows over the past three weeks. It's the strongest momentum since October of 2022. So in general, what does that make you think about where the money in the market's going to move? And then just yesterday, you had, you had a, a front row seat for it, the Kava IPO. Oh, so yeah. what is this all telling us? Well, there has been a lot of cash on the sideline. A lot of people have been talking about recession, and it's been a telegraph recession. We're waiting for that sell-off. It never happened. Now people have to put money to work. They've been missing out. It's, uh, you know, when we broke out the new highs, this was a positive thing, and now people have to chase performance. And that's why we're seeing it across the board, rotation out of the leadership into the other laggards. And then you talk about the great day at the end of the New York Stock Exchange yesterday. <laughs> Kava was fantastic. It was great to see that action. It's been a long time. The way that was received, the action on the floor, that should lead to good things to come because people have been waiting for market conditions to be right. Stock was up 100% yesterday. It's up in pre-market activity. Yeah. This is a good sign. Moving up about 3.5%. So, curious, do you own Kava? I do not own Kava. I just got to enjoy the show from a front row seat yesterday. Yeah, a lot of people enjoying the food as well. Yeah, they do. Jay Woods, it is great to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm going to call you a friend of the show. All right. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, your big money movers and why shares of Virgin Galactic are headed out of this world. Plus, a big bet away from China as Micron looks at a potential Indian expansion. And then later, trouble for Tesla as Chinese EV makers make a move on one of the most lucrative EV markets in the entire world. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at uh, shares of Kava this morning, as well as Tesla, both up in the pre-market. All right. After capping its longest daily win streak in a decade, shares of Tesla losing some ground as the street starts to turn sour on the stock. 
The latest is a note from Bank of America saying its U.S. EV market share will drop more than 60 percent to just 18 from 60 percent to just 18 percent by 2026. But it's not just the U.S. Europe has arguably become one of the most competitive markets in the entire world for electric vehicles. There, Tesla is just one of many fighting to maintain market dominance. Our Phil Abo, he joins me now live from London with more on that story. Phil, good morning. Frank, here in the U.K. is a perfect example of what we're seeing replicated across Europe in terms of electric vehicles and the market that's being developed by the Chinese automakers. Yes, Chinese automakers, they're coming on strong in Europe. Look at how much market share they have gained over the last couple of years. Just a few years ago, they had basically 1% market share. Now it's up to 8% market share. They're already here selling vehicles under established names. MG, a venerable British auto name, well, it's owned by a Chinese company. Those are electric vehicles. Polestar, owned by Volvo, which by extension is owned by Geely. And then you've got BYD being sold here as well. The key, however, is when we see the market here take off, it's going to depend on better infrastructure. We talked to the CEO of Polestar about that. Here's his thoughts on what needs to happen here in Europe when it comes to EV charging infrastructure. It is a very serious um, aspect of how successful electrification can be. Absolutely. And if the infrastructure for charging is not um, sufficiently going along the EV market's uh, growth, it will it will slow it down. The thing to keep in mind with Polestar is that as it grows sales here, it'll also be growing sales in the United States. Yes, they're already being sold there, but those are imported models coming from China. South Carolina production will be up over the next couple of years. That's where you see the Polestar 3 coming into the market. The bottom line is this, Frank. The Chinese autos that are being sold here in Europe... That, this is a, almost a test ground, if you will, for the ultimate goal, which is to sell them in the United States in large numbers. We're talking about smaller, more fuel or not fuel efficient, more cost effective models that the Chinese are already building in China. Now they're exporting them to Europe and ultimately they hope to export them to the United States. Frank. So, Phil, one of the big stories for EVs has been the IRA tax credit. So are there any plans by these Chinese automakers to actually build those EVs here in the U.S.? They would like to eventually, but you're not going to see that before the next election, nor will you likely see it until well into later this decade. They realize that you've got to manufacture in the country or the continent where you're selling vehicles. Yes, they're exporting from China here into Europe, but that's going to change over time. You'll see more production here in Europe, and ultimately that is the goal in the United States as well. But that's way down the line. All right, certainly something to watch. Our Phil LeBeau live in London. Phil, thank you very much. All right, sticking with Tesla, let's bring in RBC Capital Markets automotive analyst Tom Narayan. Tom, Bank of America and Phil, they may be laying out a bear case for Tesla, but you're actually you're taking the other side of that trade. Give us your sense of your rating and your price target for Tesla. Yeah, sure. We have a three hundred five dollar uh, price target for Tesla. Uh, and we actually raised it significantly from two twelve because now we're starting to model autonomy and the impact of RoboTaxi and FSD software licensing, which we think is going to really be the story. They're trying to get as many Teslas on the road because they want to push autonomy. Uh, in fact, for robo-taxis is 70% of our valuation now uh, for, te for Tesla. So we really think autonomy is the big push, and that's what's driving our higher price target.
Okay, but autonomies is honestly just a, a little bit away. It's going to be a while before we get to full autonomous vehicles anywhere in the world, especially here in the United States, a lot of regulation. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about what Phil was talking about, these Chinese EV makers coming into Europe. So let's just say they continue to see sust sustained success there in Europe. What does it mean for the U.S. auto market? What big player here in the United States may potentially face the biggest negative impact if they are able to succeed in Europe and also cross over here to the U.S.? Sure. And I want to push back a little, actually, on, on the Europe analogy. I was actually the, the European analyst for RBC for four years before now being global and lived in Europe. And I can tell you, Europe loves their national champions. If you go to Italy, what do you see? Fiat. You go to Germany, you see Volkswagen. You go to France, you see Renaults and Peugeots. There's a reason for it. The, the Europeans tend to buy their own products. They're locally produced. They're expensive to make because of labor costs, et cetera. Okay. It'll be difficult for the Chinese, I think, to actually penetrate uh, the European market. Look how many uh, Japanese cars you see in Europe. Not well, not very but Tom, much. What about what about the U.S., though? Because we see tons of Japanese, South Korean cars here. We don't have that yeah. same uh, love for our domestic champions here. That's a good point. Uh, but I do wonder if the Chinese OEMs wind up effectively replacing the Japanese who aren't really being as aggressive on electrification. The Chinese are. Um, but at the end of the day, who are the main incumbents in the U.S.? Ford, GM, Stellantis. These are pickup trucks, SUV territory. That's not really where these Chinese uh, EVs are playing. Uh, they're coming in really at the smaller end, lower, uh, smaller battery size, uh, less battery range. Okay. In the U.S., you do need bigger battery range. We got wide expansive spaces, range anxiety and performance, especially is a requirement. Tom, I want to talk to you about charging, as a matter of fact. Obviously, Tesla stock, it really popped on that news that it, its charging would be used by Ford and GM. How do the EV Chinese makers fit into this story? And can Tesla actually benefit from these Chinese EV makers entering the U.S. market if they're willing to adopt or they may have to adopt Tesla's charger? Yeah, I mean, it's always good to be the standard, right? You want to be the standard on charging. Um, it may not necessarily be a big financial windfall for Tesla, but what it does do is show that their platform is the kind of winning platform. And connecting back to what we are talking about earlier about autonomy, this allows them, we think, to license software to other OEMs, including the Chinese OEMs. Uh, there's not that many players that are doing autonomy software. Look at FSD, how many miles are on the road, how much data they have, the advantage they right. have. So we look at charging as a way to kind of Trojan horse in the door and okay. sell FSD and software. So let me ask you, and we got to let you go after this. You said about 70% of your call on Tesla is because of robo-taxis. How much of it is the charger story? We actually don't really include it in our uh, valuation of financials. It's just 70% robotaxi, 20% FSD, 10% cars. We just want it to be really simple and just look at those three items. And we're looking at like 2040, 2035 and discounting it back. The, 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 the opportunity is so massive for these things that we think this is enough to carry the story for this stock for several years to come. All about those robotaxis. Thank you very much. We appreciate the time and the insight. So ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, your big money movers and shares of Adobe doing something for the first time since April of 2022. Worldwide Exchange, we're back right after this one. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. 
eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories in the morning. We begin with shares of Manchester United. You can see they're up 1.5% after the company is reportedly in talks to grant exclusivity to Qatar's Sheikh Jassim in a more than $6 billion sale. That's according to Reuters. While the deal remains uncertain, members of the Glazer family, who own minority stakes in Manchester United, would be cashing out as part of the proposal. It would mark a major milestone for the son of Qatar's former prime minister. Man U shares they're currently riding a six-day win streak and up more than 30 percent in that time. All right, looking at shares of Adobe, AI putting a buzz into Adobe's earnings, pushing its stock past $500 a share after the company reported quarterly results that top revenue and earnings estimates. The stock sitting at a 52-week high has been on a tear since early May, spiking nearly 50 percent on optimism over its recent AI push. CEO Shantanayu Narayan reaffirming that strong outlook on mad money last night. We have not only introduced Firefly, uh, where we've had over half a billion uh, generations uh, that have been created so far. But in addition to that, uh, you know, what we've done with the interfaces that people use, whether it's generative fill in Photoshop or whether it's generative recolor in Illustrator, that's where the excitement is. All right, turn now to shares of Virgin Galactic. You can see they're up almost 40% this morning. They're headed out of this world, skyrocketing in the pre-market as the company prepares to launch its commercial space tourism business later this month. Virgin Galactic saying yesterday, the flight call Galactico 1 is targeting a launch window between June 27th and June 30th and plans to open up monthly commercial flights starting in August. All right, we are also watching shares of the chip maker Micron, reportedly looking to diversify away from China and spend billions of dollars on a new plant in India. CNBC-TV Bureau Chief Parikshit Luthra joins us now from Delhi with much more on this story. Good morning. Well, this is a very important deal that has been in conversation for some time. Micron has been speaking to the Indian government, and uh, we are now learning from sources that talks uh, between Micron, its Indian subsidiary, and the government are at advanced stages. And according to some reports, this announcement could come as early as next week for a $1 billion investment in semiconductor packaging in India. Remember, for the last few months, in the run-up to the Prime Minister's visit to the United States to meet President Biden, there have been conversations with a large number of semiconductor giants in the world, including ISMC, uh, Foxconn, Intel uh, as well, because India wants to grow as a semiconductor hub, contribute to the global semiconductor uh, manufacturing chains as well. But the semiconductor ecosystem in India has been slow to take off. We had recently, about a year back, seen an investment announcement from Vedanta, uh, an Indian company, and Foxconn, which is a Taiwanese company, to set up a semiconductor plant in India with a total of investment of $10 billion. They're yet to find a technology partner. But it seems in the run-up to the Prime Minister's visit, the Indian government has been making policy changes to make it simpler for companies to uh, get approvals and set up manufacturing in India. But on the whole, we're expecting some big announcements next week during uh, the Prime Minister's visit on semiconductor supply chains. All right, so we're looking at shares of Micron. Again, they're up almost 2% in the pre-market. So you let us into it a bit. Are there some other companies that you've already found out, like Micron, looking to tap into India's massive workforce and really pivot away from China? Well, uh, 
to be uh, to to tell you very honestly yes india has been speaking to the likes of ismc intel uh, global foundries the the interest in investments in india has been slow to this extent till now at least uh, like i mentioned vedanta and foxconn the joint venture is yet to take off because they're still in the process of finding a technology partner one thing is india does not have a skilled workforce on semiconductors right now we don't have an ecosystem as yet there needs to be a very strong manufacturing base a skilled workforce when it comes to having semiconductors taiwan already has that us already has that china has that and europe has that as well and this is exactly the reason where we're talking to the united states for a collaboration us national security advisor jake sullivan who was in india this week spoke to us and he said that there will be a big announcement on semiconductor supply chains and us is talking about everything from semiconductor manufacturing design and future applications research and skilling the indian workforce so there could be a collaboration announced on training the indian manpower on manufacturing the semiconductors because that would really be the first step towards setting an ecosystem All right, a lot to watch there. Appreciate Luthra. Thank you very much. Live from Delhi. All right, looking at shares of Intel this morning, up 1%. We're learning this morning the company will invest more than $4.5 billion in a new chip facility in Poland. The company says construction will begin after it gets approval from the EU, and that project will create right around 2,000 jobs. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. China's economic recovery, it may be stuck in second gear, but investors apparently not overly concerned as shares there continue to march higher. Much more Worldwide Exchange after the break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks holding on to gains as the S&P comes full circle since the Fed started its historic hiking cycle more than 15 months ago. Futures are pointing to gains. And the corporate charm offensive continues with a face-to-face meeting between Bill Gates and Xi Jinping. We're live in Beijing with the very latest. And throwing caution to the wind as the world's biggest asset manager looks to launch a Bitcoin ETF. It is Friday, June 16th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures and the S&P and the Nasdaq looking to extend their six-session win streak. Looking right now, we're seeing green across the board here, all three indices up fractionally higher. So also riding high, Microsoft. Shares to open up at an all-time high after surpassing $2.4 billion in market cap for the first time ever. Looking this morning, we're seeing more upside moves in the pre-market. Shares of Microsoft up a third of the percent. We're also looking at the bond market following that hawkish pause from the Fed. We continue to see some movement on the short end of the curve. The two-year note elevated at 4.68, but we've seen a very slight tick to the downside when it comes to the benchmark 10-year. Just yesterday, it was about 3.80. This morning at 3.73. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank. Well, BlackRock filing for a new exchange-traded fund tracking the price of Bitcoin, allowing retail investors new exposure to the asset despite increasing regulatory scrutiny. And BlackRock's iShares Bitcoin Trust will use Coinbase as its custodian. That's according to the filing. And so far, the SEC has yet to approve any applications for spot Bitcoin ETFs. 
Elon Musk meeting with the prime minister of Italy yesterday, discussing topics including artificial intelligence, regulation and birth rates. That's according to a tweet from one Italian uh, politician. Now, the meeting marks what is expected to be the start of a short European tour where Musk is scheduled to speak later this morning at the Viva Tech conference in Paris. OpenAI, Microsoft, Adobe, and others reportedly meeting with news executives, including the new and, re- new and recent months, to discuss copyright issues around their respective AI products. And according to the Financial Times, the meetings could lead to deals and potentially involve subscription-style fees for their content. Now, for his part, Adobe CEO Shantanu Narayan says he has met with Disney, Sky, and the UK's Daily Telegraph to discuss how it might develop custom models for them to use its generative AI for images, Frank. You know, every day there's a new every, angle, a new yes. twist and turn when it comes to AI. All, all about AI. Yeah, all right. Savannah Hanau, thank you very much. All right, turn our attention now to China. And President Xi Jinping meeting with Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates today in what is his first visit to that country since 2019. And Xi's first meeting with a foreign CEO in years. Our Eunice Yoon joins me now live from Beijing. Eunice? Thanks, Frank. Well, President Xi is being quoted by state media as having told Bill Gates that he is the first American friend that he's met in Beijing this year. Uh, This is just a signal as to just how unusual a meeting like this is between a Chinese leader and the American billionaire in this time of heightened tensions between the U.S. and China. It appears to be the highest profile outreach by the Chinese leadership to attempt to repair uh, damaged relations uh, between it and the international business community, especially corporate America. Uh, This is uh, a meeting, in the meeting rather, uh, she specifically highlighted what Beijing needs most from its economic ties with the U.S., uh, stressing the need for technology cooperation. Of course, this is uh, almost exactly the opposite of what uh, the Biden administration and what the U.S. just generally is trying to do, and that is cut off uh, U.S. technology to China. Um, also, Frank, I think this meeting can be seen as, uh, um, as an effort by China to do what it's traditionally done in the past, and that is to reach out with its contacts in the American business community in order to try to influence America's Uh, China strategy. Uh, Unclear, though, exactly how helpful this meeting uh, will be, uh, given those heightened tensions. We've been talking a lot about that potential political strategy there that's also going to impact business. I want to ask you, what's the reaction there in China to in recent weeks to the visits by Bill Gates, uh, Jamie Dimon, Tim Cook, a lot of these big U.S. CEOs? There's been a lot of excitement. I mean, for Bill Gates, uh, people have been watching uh, what he's doing. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, photos getting onto online. So people are excited about Bill Gates. They've been excited about Elon Musk. I think what's interesting, though, is that uh, Bill Gates, um, it, maybe he was able to meet President Xi as opposed to the others uh, because he's coming here in a philanthropic role as opposed to an executive role. Also, the two have met before, so there's a bit of a familiarity factor as well. But uh, in terms of the Chinese population, um, they've definitely been um, happy to see all these foreign faces here. And I think that's exactly the point of the Chinese government, that they're trying to show that, uh, that China is not isolated and that even th- though the economy isn't doing necessarily so well, um, the uh, foreign business community is there and interested in investing here. All right, Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, great to see you as always. 
All right, let's stick with China and bring in Duarte McNeil, Longview Global Managing Director and Senior Policy Analyst. He's also a CNBC contributor. Duarte, good morning. Always great to see you as well. Good morning, Frank. All right, let's talk a little bit about this right now. Bill Gates, he's in China. Let's put it in perspective. So technically, as Eunice mentioned, it's philanthropic. He's there representing his foundation. How meaningful is this really when it comes to political uh, ramifications and also business? It's a good question, Frank. Look, I think that uh, the, the Gates visit uh, is probably a little bit different than some of the other CEOs that we talked about, uh, given that he's there in his philanthropic role. Uh, but look, it's clear that the Chinese want to use this meeting to signal, uh, I would say, first and foremost, to the global business community uh, that China is open for business, that the de-risking or decoupling or China plus one approach which we've been hearing so much about, uh, is perhaps uh, overblown as how uh, we can take a look at some of these statements. And I think Eunice makes a point here, Frank, that trying to use the business community to impact uh, China policy going forward is an old playbook that China may be returning to. But I think that Washington has changed a lot since that playbook was effective uh, for the Chinese. So my advice uh, to CEOs would be to travel to China. There's legitimate reasons to do that, to reestablish uh, relationships with local stakeholders, customers, employees. But, but there's no substitute for government-to-government relations, which is what we need between the U.S. and China. And I don't think that they should be bringing Beijing's water back to Washington. I don't believe that Washington is really open uh, to hear that, especially things like technology okay. cooperation. All right. Very interesting, because we've been calling this a charm offensive and that, you know, basically these CEOs are kind of working as diplomats. So as we mentioned, Bill Gates, that's just the latest CEO to come visit. Just a minute ago, we were showing a wall of different CEOs that went to visit. Elon Musk calling the China-U.S. relationship symbiotic. The Starbucks CEO saying the possibilities are limitless. So just kind of very effusive conversation there from these different CEOs. For investors, when it comes to these goodwill tours, is there any downside or upside that they should be aware of? No, look, I think talking is good. Like I said, these trips may get blowback here in Washington politically, but it makes sense for CEOs to go to China to look at the market, to assess for themselves where economic policy is going. China's changed a lot since uh, there's, there's been the COVID hiatus. So it makes sense. And I think there's some positive things that can happen as a result of these trips for businesses, for investors. My caution, though, is that CEOs, as much as corporate diplomacy is good, is no replacement for government-to-government relations and official diplomacy. That would be my my message, right? Let's talk just a little bit more macro, turning to economic concerns. A number of major banks, we're talking about Bank of America, we're talking about J.P. Morgan. They're cutting their China GDP forecast between five uh, and about five and a half percent, somewhere around there, following a string of weak economic reports. At the same time, we're seeing Chinese equities really spike, at least month to date. They've been part of this broader rally. You want to look at the K-Web. I was looking at the MCHI ETF, the broader China ETF earlier, also outperforming. What's your outlook with this kind of disconnect between what we're seeing in the economy and what we're seeing with the equities? Yeah, it's hard to figure out how investors are looking at China. Most economists are looking at China, and I also share this view of many economists, as an economy that is absolutely stalling post-COVID opening. And a lot of that, Frank, is because the policy and the, the problems have been in a, mis- in a mixed match. So what we really need is policies that restore confidence, increase household income, uh, 
find a way to employ uh, the youth in China. What we're seeing is more credit facilities being available, and that's not exactly easing is not going to fix China's economic problems. The right fiscal policies in some are in some circles is what is going to do that. But Beijing has been reluctant to do that. So I think this continues to slow as we move into the second half of the year, despite all of the rosy outlook that we see from the markets. Yeah, very interesting. Chinese easing is getting investors excited and the possibility of more tightening here in the U.S. Investors just shrugging it off. Hard to figure out. Dorado McNeil, we're going to bring you back to figure it out one of these days. All right. Thank you very much. Great to see you. Enjoy the weekend. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a regime change in the U.S. energy patch as U.S. producers fight back against Saudi Arabia and OPEC's push to dominate the narrative when it comes to oil prices. We will speak with one of those primary players when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Oil prices are on track to snap a two-week losing streak thanks to the weaker dollar on the back of the Fed's pause in hiking rates and some optimism over higher fuel demand from China. However, WTI and Brent crude, they're still underwater for the year, down about 12 percent as weaker economic outlook in the U.S. and China seems just to be looming over market sentiment. Let's talk more about the fundamentals at play and the investment backdrop for the U.S. and the international energy sector. Kate Richard is the founder, CEO and CIO at Warwick Investment Group. Kate, it's great to have you here. Nice to see you. All right, so oil, that's your primary business. Let's talk a little bit about it. So after the Fed did that hawkish pause, we saw some downside moves in the oil market. It's kind of come back up, WTI back above 70 bucks a barrel. How influential is the Fed in this whole story, and how influential is the Central Bank of China with its easing in the oil story? You know, I think that our job as long-term investors in the sector is to look through the volatility, and what we're mostly focused on is the last 13 years of underinvestment. And I think there are two critical things about oil right now. So in terms of demand, in the U.S. and Europe, we are embedded in what's happening, taking down carbon footprint. So we have two billion people in the U.S., Europe, U.K., Australia, Canada, working fastidiously to take down our carbon footprints. But that is a parochial perspective because when we look at the world, we have over six billion people that are taking up their carbon footprint. And over the past 20 years, what that's resulted in is 20 million barrels a day of incremental demand, which took us from 80 million barrels a day of oil demand as a world to 100 million barrels a day. So that's one of the fundamental issues with why supply is so resilient and also why oil and gas continues to be something like 56 to 60 percent of global fuel share. So we have very resilient demand. And the other thing and this is a bit of geology early for the morning, but when you look at um, petroleum reservoir engineering and geology, the global, this is an asset that declines. And the global base decline for oil is 5%. So we lose 5 million barrels of production as a world every day, uh, every year. And importantly, because shale has different reservoir characteristics, we have a 30% base decline. So we lose 30% of U.S. production every year. And when you have a depreciating asset, that's investing below the rate of depreciation against resilient demand, you have a supply issue that will be bullish over the next 10 years. All right. You took us a little bit in the weeds, but we get it. There's going to be more demand, maybe for longer than a lot of people believe. I want to go back to the Fed, possibly two more heights later this year. How does that impact your willingness to spend CapEx, to drill into more wells? Does it impact it at all? And has the break even when it comes to oil, has that story changed? So oil prices this year have averaged about $70 a barrel, which is pretty stable. And that gives us a good outlook to invest off of. But also 
Public companies are generally hedged over 30% for oil production. We're hedged over 90%. And if you look at the oil and gas sector overall, if we were talking about 2015, it would be a much more levered sector with a lot more debt that was levered both at the balance sheet level and at the commodity level. So commodity price volatility would have a bigger impact. Because the energy sector has taken debt down to zero to one times debt to EBITDA today, almost no debt in this sector. We don't have that balance sheet leverage, okay. so people can invest through the cycle. Plus, $70 oil is pretty attractive. Now, that being said, the sector experienced very high oil-filled service cost inflation last year. So, you know, in some basins, I would say, like, a $70 oil price is the new $50 oil price just because the base cost that you need to invest has risen. However, with that... 70% plus decline in natural gas prices since Thanksgiving. We are seeing the natural gas producers take down rig count, which is leading to a little bit of softening of okay. oil-filled service inflation. We're almost out of time. I want to ask you, when do we reach peak oil? You have so much insight into the oil industry. A lot of people, we were talking about EVs actually in this show for quite a bit. Um, what are the factors that are going to get us to peak oil and when we see oil reach its peak and then possibly its, its demand and everything else decline? So probably we see peak supply in 2028. That's what we're seeing based on U.S. production. And the U.S. is only 12 percent of global oil supply, but it is the only jurisdiction for the past 10 years that's been able to grow oil supply. So as the U.S. goes, so goes global supply and pricing. So it does really, really? matter. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, the energy transition is obviously very metals intensive. And that requires metals like copper, manganese, nickel, cobalt, lithium, tin, graphite. And when we look at the other side of the natural resources sector, we see similar disinvestment over the past 13 years. So when we look at global mining capex, you know, it's down 50 percent since 2012. Global oil and gas capex is down 60 okay. percent since 2012. So, so you're dealing mining with mining and oil very closely tied together. Very interesting. Kate Richard, great to have you here in the studio. Appreciate your time and your insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today and how our next guest says investors should be positioned in their portfolios following the Fed pause. But first, June is Pride Month, and CNBC is celebrating all month long and sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. Here is Indeed Senior Vice President of Environmental, Social, and Government, LaFawn Davis. The LGBTQ plus community is not a monolith. There's lots of letters for lots of reasons. But those letters and identities intersect with race and ethnicity and disabilities. And so really focusing on setting an environment where people feel like they belong, where they feel that safety in being themselves. That is what companies can do right now to make sure that people can show up as their best self. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We start with shares of Adobe pushing back past $500 a share after the company beat revenue and earnings estimates. The stock's up nearly 50% since May on optimism over Adobe's recent AI push. Mercedes is adding chat GPT to its infotainment system starting today, allowing U.S. owners to converse with their vehicles while they're on the road. However, the function's full capabilities, those remain unclear. Shares of Virgin Galactic skyrocketing more than 40% in the pre-market as the company prepares to launch its commercial space tourism service later this month. Also moving higher, Mediterranean restaurant chain Cava after its impressive public market debut on the New York Stock Exchange yesterday when the stock closed up 100%. Disney's longtime chief financial officer, Christine McCarthy, is stepping down from her role and will take a, quote, family medical leave of absence from the company. 
McCarthy will stay on as an advisor to help with the transition. And Micron reportedly closing in on a deal to commit at least $1 billion towards setting up a new chip packaging factory in India. According to Bloomberg, an announcement could come as soon as next week. All right, now looking to the trading day ahead, the S&P 500. It's now recouped all of its losses and then some since the Fed began its tightening cycle about 15 months ago. Big thanks to tech and AI hype. Let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, it's always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. So got to ask you, do you believe in this rally? We're seeing it initially pushed by just a, a very narrow group of stocks. Now it seems to be broadening. Yeah. Hey, listen, you know, when the Fed made their announcement yesterday, we did see a little bit of a reaction to the market, but I think things are normaling out. Uh, I, I think that um, hopefully, you know, investors are understanding that uh, this rate pause um, is not going to significantly affect their portfolio in the short term. Um, and this is what we're seeing right now. All right. So with that in mind, what is your wax word of the day? My Wex word of the day is focus, to drown out this noise about the Fed rate pause and focus on your long-term investment goals. All right, so you're drowning out the Fed, but you are paying attention to some of the easing we're seeing in China. What is making Chinese equity so attractive to you right now? Yeah, well, a few things, Frank. First, uh, while we're um, pausing rates and most of the developing world is kind of increasing rates, China's cutting rates. So that's going to really be supportive to economic growth in Asia. The second thing is China's still really in reopen mode. So we expect to see some growth as they kind of progress toward, as they progress through that. And the other thing is that, you know, China has this um, this. Uh, uh, goal of becoming carbon neutral by 2060. So we're going to see this transition over the next, um, you know, uh, a few years. This is going to potentially affect 1.4 billion Chinese people, pe- people who are living in China. And so they're going to have to change the way they consume energy, the way they prepare food, the way they get to work every day. And so we're, we're really looking at all the companies that are kind of best positioned to right. benefit from that. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm when it comes to Chinese equities. We were talking earlier about the K-Web, also the MCHI ETF. I do want to ask you about a story that we see breaking today, the possibility of Intel building a factory in India, pivoting away from China. Does that make you, excuse me, Micron building a factory in India, pivoting away from China. Does that make you (laughs) concerned at all about just the long-term story for China to see so many companies looking to move some production away? It doesn't. You know, I, I think about the significance of the Chinese consumer, even on an industry like luxury retail. Um, you know, if you listen to earnings calls, I do all the time. There are you know, di- different you know, sections of, uh, of the earnings calls. But when it really comes to luxury retail, there is an entire section dedicated to the Chinese consumer. So I kind of look at, um, at uh, across industries and how important the Chinese consumer is, how important, of course, you know, manufacturing is. And I think that there's still a lot of opportunity in China and and a lot of growth. All right. Tiffany McGee of Pivotal Advisors, it is always great to see you. Thank you for your time and insight. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Frank. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.